Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4. Through wisdom is a house built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall all the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now, wisdom will build a house. Foolishness will destroy it. So, I don't know if you realize it or not, but the Bible is a family book. It builds up not only people, but families. Uh, it builds up homes. If families will follow its instructions. I mean, the Bible's no good if it's sitting in your lap and not in your heart. The Bible's no good if it's sitting on a coffee table or on a shelf. They say that the Bible is the most published book of all time, and, and, and I know that's true, but I know this, it's not the most read. You know what I found? Even in Bible-believing churches, it's not the most obeyed. Amen. So we're going to get convicted. Hold on, put, put your seatbelts on, because this is convicting. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Because we need to follow some instructions. I'm going to give you some verses here, and we're going to go through some scriptures and get you all mad at God if I can. One preacher once said, if I don't either make you mad or glad I didn't do my job. So if you don't leave here spitting mad or smiling happy, then uh, fire me because I aim to do one or the other. <clears throat> Ephesians 5 and verse 21. We're going to read all the way down to verse 33. Submitting yourselves. That word's going to come up a lot here. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves, verse 22, 522, unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it and feeds it and bathes it and so on and so forth, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning not just a husband and wife, but concerning the Christ in the church. Nevertheless, whether you understand all that or not, let every one of you in particular, that means every one of us, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Colossians 3 now to the right. Just a couple of pages, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians 3, 17. I hope you have a Bible. Please, if you don't, look on your neighbors. Colossians 3, 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, that means at work, at school, or at home, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. Wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And he goes on, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Like I said, the Bible is a family book. First Peter now. Oh, no, we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, 
Well, yes. Go ahead and go to 1 Peter. We just have to go back one <clears throat> in a moment. 1 Peter, right after Hebrews, comes James, and then 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, down to verse 7. Say, what are, you, what are you showing me? I'm showing you that the Bible's got a lot to say about family life. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of hair, the hair, and of wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in, in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, are not afraid, afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. A lot of instructions, wouldn't you agree, on the Bible, uh, on, on the family? As a matter of fact, there's, there's probably of, of, of all of the subjects in the Bible, um, uh, in the top ten, I'm not sure if it is around number four, number five, of all the great subjects in the Bible, the home is in the top ten. Now, what is a home? Uh, well, it's not brick and mortar. It's not walls and windows, it's people, it's relationships, it's the people that live there, the family live there. I know of incredibly craft, incredibly gifted craftsmen who put together brick and mortar and windows, they fit it in roofs and, and insulation and flooring and they build houses. They spend years as apprentices under different accomplished builders so they can be one day trusted to build a home for someone else. Yet almost no one builds homes these days by anything other than a wing and a prayer, and I don't think they pray. Take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 14. Go back to Proverbs. Hold your place here in 1 Peter because this is where we're going to be. But I need you to go back to Proverbs chapter 14 and one word of warning. Proverbs chapter 14. In the middle of your Bible is Psalms. The next book is Proverbs chapter 14. As much as the Bible talks about building, it also warns about destroying. Proverbs 14.1 says, every woman builds her house. Is that true? Now, the news media says no woman would ever do anything wrong towards her children unless she wants an abortion. No woman would ever pull down her own house. She must love her. Not every woman is wise. Are you with me? And don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. You can take it out on him. But every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her own hands. That's a warning. That's scary. The very people who so desperately want to have a family can actually end up destroying it if they're not careful. I know that I'm preaching to people who have about four million things going through your brain right now. Twisted ideas of what it means to be a wife. Twisted ideas of what it means to be a man. What it means to be uh, a family. What, what, is it, what does it mean for our roles and our our, our, our goals in life, you are so influenced by everything but the Bible. And I'm asking you, put it all aside and listen. This week and next week is going to be on the home. Obviously, 
This morning, we're going to focus on the wife. Say, why are you doing that? Because everywhere I read, God talks to the wife first. So if you want to get mad, take it up with the book. So this morning, we're going to focus on the wife, and then next week, I'll kick your husband. I mean, I'll preach to your husband. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, I just ask you to help. I beg you to help that we would be hearers of your word and then doers. And that we wouldn't argue, fight, disagree because some dumb Texan is up there talking. Because some flawed, failed husband is up there talking. But that we would listen because these are your words and this is your help. I pray you would help us. As was just said by Miss Cindy, often we think we can back away, we can do it our own way, we can go our own, do our own thing and we'll be okay. And we won't. Lord, our homes show that. God, please help us to know the right way and live it. God, I pray that we would realize we can't live it without you. Anybody here, as I'm preaching, there will be such a weight put on them, it will nearly crush them as we talk about these biblical expectations. It will kill some people's emotions. Number one, because maybe they're not saved, and all they can do is do it in their own weak flesh, or maybe they're backslidden and they don't know how to do it in the spirit. Or maybe they're confused and they don't know how to do it biblically. God, I pray you unwind all that and help the lost to be saved and help the saved to be excited. Now, this is good. And it'll save our homes for generations. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. Told you to stay in 1 Peter there. Go back to chapter 2, and I'm going to talk about the life of the Christian, first of all, because Peter takes you through some great truths before he gets on the home, and he says, let me talk about the Christian life here. And, then, and I'm just going to start in verse 11 and down to verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, dearly beloved. Isn't that a way to talk to somebody? Now, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, people I love with all my heart, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims in this world, abstain from fleshly lusts. I wonder if they had TV back then. I wonder if there were things that were causing such fleshly lusts back then. There were. Which war against your soul, having your conversation, this is how you ought to live, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Would you be real? That whereas they may speak, e speak against you as evildoers, they may buy your next two words. Underline those two words. Are you with me in verse 12? That they may buy your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, verse 13 goes on, says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, and then it goes on unto governors, and so on and so forth. The Christian life is a life of good works. Uh, you know, before you got saved, you tried, you dabbled in good works. You tried your best to be like your grandmother. You tried your best to be like Mother Teresa. You tried your best to, to be a good little boy, a little girl, and then you found out you were a failure. And so slowly you, you, you snuck around and you sinned, and then you got so discouraged, you just came out with it. And you just in hardened uh, uh, response to anybody's request for you to do right. You just fought and said, no, I'm tired of trying. You know why? Because good works are no good until you're saved. And you will drive yourself into an early grave trying to be good. You know the best thing to do? Be born again. Amen. 
most important thing to do right now, if there was anything else I could do right now, if I knew you were lost, and if I knew I could do it, I would come over to you and I would beg you right now, get saved right now, right now, right now. You see, I can't get baptized, didn't say get baptized. I said you must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you, don't you dare think you can live without him. So, the life of the Christian is a life of good works after we get saved. All of a sudden, the things you do matter to God. All of a sudden, the things that you do matter. Start living like Jesus lived. Start to help people, showing what real love and what a real marriage is like. I like real people, amen. Nobody's got a perfect marriage. Nobody. You watch these stupid TV programs where a guy meets a girl, and all of a sudden they're in love, and it doesn't happen that way. And then they got kids, and they don't know how they got it, and you don't know how they got them. And we, we get this idea that it should just, just plug in, and it lights up. It works. It doesn't, folks. We need to be honest and real. And we Listen, a life of good works is where you, you, you uh, show how to serve one another and not fight one another, one another. Good works build people up. You ever do that? You ever go down to your way? I have been absolutely embarrassed by Brother Stewart. Because if I stop somewhere, I mean, I'm just going to go pop into somewhere. He's getting unbuckled. He's coming out of the car. And I think he's going to go beat somebody up. So what's wrong? He said, what do you need? What do you need, brother? What, what, can, what can we get? <laughs> I mean, it's not once. It's not twice. Every time I stop, he's out of the car. What can we get? You know what that is? Serving. Wow. That's good works. Build people up instead of tearing them down. We need a lot more good works in Christianity, amen? We, listen, I preach against good works for salvation, but I sure do challenge you, you better live by good works because of salvation. Amen. Especially in our homes. Life of the Christian is a life of good works. Here comes the clincher, though. Here comes the clincher. It's a life being submissive to God's order of things. Look at verse 14. We read there in verse 13. Let me read verse 13 again. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. That's a lot of ordinances. That's a lot of rules. That means you have to obey the speed limit. That means you can't spit chewing gum on the, on the uh, footpath. Uh, that means all of these rules and things that man has, you basically have to obey because most of them don't cross with God. Do you know that? Most of them don't. Most of the ones you don't like are not unbiblical, like taxes. <laughs> so you have to do it. And you do it for whose sake, by the way? For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by God for the punishment, and by the king, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Life of the Christian is one where you submit to God's order of things. Did you notice kings are not to submit to their subjects? Did you notice that parents are not to be subject to their children? Oh, little Johnny, I just can't control him. So who's, in, who's winning? Who's controlling? Husbands are not to submit to their wives. I'm not going to get an amen out of that one. Any husband does it, they're dead. But the truth is, husbands are not to submit to their wives. They are to love their wives, and they are to willingly lay down their life for their wife. They are to listen to their wife. They are to even do what their wife thinks to do. But when it comes that decisions have to be made, he's got to rule. He has to lead. Or else you're arguing with the book. Don't argue with me. Husbands don't submit to their wives, and masters don't submit to their servants. All of that would be silly, 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 but that is how life is today. 
and homes are almost a total disaster. Look at Peter's list. Uh, look at Peter's list. We're all subject to authority. Submit yourselves to every commandment, every ordinance of man. It'd be nice if it said, obey every ordinance and commandment of God. That'd be easy, amen? Well, not really, but easier. I can, well, I'm obeying God, but I'm not going to obey you. Isn't that what we do? We don't, we don't have that freedom anymore. Now that we're saved, under, uh, whether it's to the king, how many of you want to be under a king again? Let me see your hand. Besides Kevin O'Bartlett. Um, we're under governors. Um, we're to be subject to authorities. We're to honor how many people? Oh, I find that hard. There's some people that are hard to honor, aren't there? That means respect people, never trash them. You may have to rebuke them. You may have to walk away from them, but you're to honor them as best as you can. And servants are even to be subject to their masters. Whew. Run down there, verse 18. Well, let me keep reading. Verse 15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish, foolish men. As free, how many are free this morning? You get that thought? I have been made free from the bondage of my sin. I'm even free from the bondage of myself. But I am not free to do as I please. I am free, yet not using my liberty for a cloak of maliciousness to do what I want, but as the servants of God, therefore, verse 17 says, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And he repeats it. Honor the king. And then he gets down to where he lives. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. The froward there means the mean, the cruel. Be subject unto them. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well, when you do good, and you suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. That's a powerful list. Now, do you notice how much suffering is in there? Verse 19, he says, This is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted, you get in trouble for your faults? There's no glory in taking it patiently. It's what you're supposed to do. But if when you do well and you suffer for it, you still take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even here in two were you called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who, in his suffering, he still did not sin, neither was guile, he never lied in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Could Jesus have threatened everybody around him who hurt him? Could he have followed through with the threats? And yet he threatened not, but he committed himself unto him that judges righteously. Want to have a good conscience? Well, endure grief. Suffer wrongfully. Look at chapter 4 and verse, verse uh, 15. Chapter 4 and verse 15. Still in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. I hope none of you do. You get in trouble? Man, I'll come and visit you in the prison. But man, I'm not bailing you out. If you're a murderer... None of us should suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him praise God. Let him glorify God on this behalf. 
What a challenge. You know, the Christian's life is a life of suffering without sinning in response, where you just praise God, you glorify God, and never give up on God. That's a Christian life in a nutshell. It's working for the better of somebody else. It's submitting to God's authorities over your life, and it's suffering. Well, where's the prosperity? Where's the money? Where's the, where's the girls? Where's, where's the wealth? It's not there. You know what's there? The Christian life. It's a whole lot different. Now you know why a lot of people don't want it. Now you know why a lot of people, when they sit and they hear the preaching, they go, nah, I've never found a better life. I wouldn't trade what I go through. There are some times where I wish I could die. There are some times when I just can't go another step. But I would never go back. There is no comparison. Life of the Christian. Now let's move on to the life of the Christian wife. Chapter 3. Oh, hush. Don't say, uh-oh. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1. Hey, wouldn't it be great if all husbands were like me, Prince Charming? <laughs> I'm glad we don't have tomatoes here today. Wouldn't it be great if all husbands were Prince Charmings? But guess what? We're not. Life of the Christian wife. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, you wives. Now, who's he talking to? You think he's talking to people who read the, uh, the RTE guide? You think he's writing to, uh, uh, to CNN? You think he's writing to, uh, to Leo Varadkar and Cabinet? And you think he's writing to uh, Angela Merkel? He's writing to Christian women. Right at Christian women. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. It would be awesome. It would be awesome if, if, we, if men were better men. But Prince Charming's are fairy tales, and there are too many young people. And one of the things we're going to be talking about at camp is preparing our young girls to not look for Prince Charming's. Because they don't exist. Every young lady, if you're paying attention to me right now, you pay real good attention. Every young lady's going to be madder and, 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 and more fierce the older they get because men are wicked. Amen. Without the gospel in, in, in the life of that man and without the Bible and without the help of the Holy Spirit, men are wicked. And girls get this idea, oh, he winked at me. That means run. Because the only hope for a man is to be made new. It's a shame that more Christian men are not better men. But love and marriages don't need Prince Charmings to make, make things work out. They need Christ. So Peter writes to wives, and he's writing under the perfect direction of the Holy Spirit of God. I have heard too many times the modern preachers and preacherettes get up and they say, well, you know Peter, and you know the Apostle Paul, they're just giving their opinions. No. This is the Word of God. This is not Peter having a bad day with his wife. <laughs> I'm going to write how to, why does it submit to me? Not at all. He didn't make this up. Folks, this is not a conspiracy against women everywhere. It is written for your comfort and for your encouragement and your faith and success as a wife. And by the way, it's for the, the hope of the future generation. So he tells them, 
to be subject to their husbands. Now, what a way to start a chapter. I mean, if I were going to write a bestseller, I wouldn't start writing that way, would you? <laughs> I'm not going any further. Don't be like that this morning. Because this is where it all begins. Under your husband's headship and leadership, following their lead and their ways. There's no other way around it. There's no way to smooth it over. I read books, and they are amazing authors who can go through these chapters and make you feel good reading it. I read it, and I feel convicted. And I know a lot of you women, you read it, and you feel like, I just want to quit. You can't smooth it over. It's to challenge us and to make us better. You know, in the same way we're supposed to honor as Christians, honor and obey the government we live under. Aren't you glad you don't live in Saudi Arabia? Aren't you glad you don't live in Iran? Aren't you glad you don't live in, in now some of you want to live in Moscow, but I wouldn't want to live in Moscow. Aren't you glad that, that we, we have a fairly stable government that we have freedom in, and under this imperfect government, we have to submit. In the same way that Christian servants are to submit to their masters, employees to their employers, in the same way that Christians are to submit even to suffering, wives are to honor and obey and submit to their husbands. Do you know what God could do? God would like to save this generation of homes and help the next one not make the same mistakes we've had. That's a good goal, isn't it? Stop, stop repeating the same mistakes that your parents did and your grandparents so on and so forth. So let them save your home this morning with these truths. First of all, go back to verse 1. Let's talk about the life and work of the Christian wife. I'm going to read these, ver these six verses. And then we're going to take some great truths from it. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. You know what I find? I find, you know, home problems. And the wife will be very sweet and kind to another man, but not to her husband. You know, the Bible forbids that. To your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they're not obedient to the word. Don't think it's only say, because I'll show you. Uh, only for salvation. It's for, you've got a rebel of a husband. He may be saved, but he's not doing right. Well, if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be one. You want to win your argument? You do it by the conversation of the wives. Well, I've tried conversing with them. I've tried yelling at them. I've tried everything, and it doesn't work. Well, we're going to read what does. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plate, of plating of, hair, of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, it never fades, it never loses its glory. Even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed to Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now keep this list. What I'm about to give you here this morning, you need to write this down in your Bible somewhere and review it and pray for the grace to live it in your home. That is, if you want a home instead of hell on earth. First of all, I want to say this. The life of the work of the Christian wife is something that is seen and not heard. You need to give your, your husband something to behold and not just hear. Too many Christian women try to tell their husband what they should do, what they shouldn't have done, when that fails, they get louder, and they get more agitated, they get argumentative, and they're doing it for all good reasons. Listen, there's, there's, no, there's nobody going to find fault with a woman who's correcting her husband when he's done wrong. 
But we get the idea that I'll just say it louder and he'll get it better. It doesn't work. It doesn't work either way. Matter of fact, there are a lot of Christian wives, and let me just park here for two seconds. Don't you dare, after this church service, get in their car saying, that was great, honey, sweetheart. That was just what you needed. <laughs> Not if you want to eat for the next three weeks. Wow. But there are women who will say to their husband who stayed home and watched a match and should have been at church and needs their pastor to give them a good kick. They go home and say, you should have been there at church. You know what he's going to say? I'm not going for a month. You know why? Because you're challenging his headship. Amen. Well, he did wrong. You did wrong too. I know it's going to get quiet. I think only Brother Stu's going to say amen. But you got to stay with me here. A lot of Christian women are ten times more spiritual than their Christian husbands. I mean, they walk circles. They can walk on air. I've seen them. <laughs> they can do the impossible. They can pray and get answers to prayer. But the last thing they need to do is show it off to their husband and say, see, you need to be more spiritual. You need to be reading more Bible. Look at me. I'm reading my Bible four hours. You need to read it too. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Are you with me? It doesn't work. Not that they don't need to be reading the Bible, but leave the yelling and the preaching and the talking to another man. The first character that he starts off with is submission. And you do it not out of respect for your husband, but you do it first out of respect for God. Did you know... I didn't read anywhere in here about love. Did you see anything about love your husband? Does it say that? It doesn't, it, it, that's not the point, is it? The focus is submit to him, respect him. It does wonders. You know, it is God's first in his order. Submission lets the other person lead and make the decisions, even wrong decisions. Now, I don't mean every decision has to be made. Uh, do we want spaghetti or do we want fish? Honey, you make the decision. Now, oh, come on. Uh, you may ask, but the, this is not about every decision has to be made by the man. And this is not about the man having a complex where he's in control like a tyrant. But you know, the whole flow of the home ought to be dad's the captain. We, were, we took the, one of the boats that are on, lake, uh, on the Killarney Lake. We took uh, the, the Gregs down to Killarney, and the boat was getting ready to leave, and we haven't been on the boat in years. And so we popped on that boat and sat down there. It was a beautiful, it was almost an hour. It was a beautiful ride out there in the lake. It was so calm and beautiful. But I can only imagine, I mean, there are probably about 25 people on that ship. If 25 people tried to take that wheel, I want to go this way. No, I want to go this way. Can you imagine? I jump ship. And you wonder why your kids jump ship. You wonder why your kids don't want to be around you. Why they walk away. Because mom and dad won't let go of the wheel and let one drive. Amen. Ephesians 5.22, I'll read it for you. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Hey, you'd submit unto the Lord. If the Lord Jesus right now was living today and he walked by and he said, I need you to do this, would you do it? And when your husband says, I need you to do this, get it yourself. <laughs> you got two hands. Who made me your slave? <laughs> Take her on a holiday. Wow.
You submit unto your husband as if you're doing it unto the Lord. The Bible says do it to your husband. Wives, Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. It is so proper. It is so good looking. It is so beautiful. It is fitting. It's right. You know what submission does? It lets the other person be right and honors them when they are. It helps make up for when they're wrong. <laughs> Never destroying them in the process. Did you hear what I just said? It helps, it allows the other person to be right and honors them when they are and helps make up for when they're wrong, never destroying them in the process. It takes the time to listen and to learn. Submission begins with yielding to the leadership of your husband out of respect and honor to God, but also to them. Ephesians 5.33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. It's a safe place to be. Not because your husband's so right and so smart, but because under your husband is where God works. Take your Bible, turn to James, hold in your place here, go back a few pages to James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he giveth so much more grace. Brother Stu, have you found that to be true? God's grace just keeps going, keeps flowing, keeps coming. Never runs dry, but he, God, giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the, but giveth grace unto the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then you'll even be able to resist the, resist the, and he will flee from you. So the moment, tell me if this is right or wrong, okay? Bill, tell me if this is right or wrong. The moment that I'm under authority, who's helping me? God is. God gives grace to the humble. When I'm under authority and I'm doing what my authority says, when I am uh, not fighting and I'm, I'm adapting, I'm changing, I'm serving, God's helping. But the moment I say I don't like my authority and I step out and I start to go my own way and I say, I'm going to put you in your place, who's now helping me? The devil. And believe me, he shows up real quick. But if I ever try to get rid of Satan's work in me at this place, will I ever succeed? Man, I hate how the devil's fighting me every day. Uh, how do I get that victory? Back under my authority. So the safest place, ladies, is in that place of submission. Think about it. Fighting your husband allows the devil to work. Another characteristic of the Christian life is this thing called chaste. Back there in, uh, to the right, go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and he's got a great old word, it's called chaste. And it simply means unlike the world. Verse 2 says, give them something to look at. What are they looking at? Well, they look at your chaste conversation. Chaste means it's not like everybody else handles. You know, a wife, when she doesn't say things, says more than they all Chase couple of conversation is very careful, carefully chosen words. When you're, when, when you're not offensive, when you're not in somebody's face, you're chaste. That allows you to be clean, pure, sweet. When your husband sees that, believe me, you have his attention. No question. He then says something else. He says proper fear. Coupled with fear, not of your husband, go to Ephesians 5. Hold in your place here, go to Ephesians chapter 5. 
In verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21, still holding your place there in 1 Peter chapter 4. Five twenty-one. submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of each other. Is that what it says? No, in the fear of God. Go to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Speaking of godly woman here. Proverbs 31 verse 30. Favor is deceitful. Everybody's praise. That'll, that's a lie. In beauty... Boy, just give it two years and it's gone. <laughs> Beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she will be constantly and forever praised. The fear of the Lord is good because it keeps us plain, simple, on plan, not taking liberties, doing what we please. Do you know, if I were a builder, Bill, if I were, if I were, if you, nobody would trust me to build something, but if I were building the house and I'm getting here and I'm looking at the chimney and looking at the back wall and I'm looking, I go, you know, I think I can do this cheaper and I can go off plan and I can put a couple of windows in the wall and I weaken the wall. And the storm comes and knocks it all down. See, I don't go off plan. And you know why I don't? Because I fear the author of the plans. I worry, all right, if I do things my way, I might weaken the walls. I might weaken God's work in our home. Proper fear is very important. Get this right, and you'll never have to fear anyone else again. And then he goes to this thing called true beauty, which is kind of coming up to what we're talking about at uh, camp. And it, we, I need you to go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we've got this thing. Verse 2, it says, You want your husband to behold a chaste conversation, which means limited words, controlled words, coupled with the fear of God. Verse 3, and looking beautiful. Look at verse 3. Oh, I can do that. I just bought a new makeup kit. <laughs> no. Verse 3 says this, Who's adorning, let it not be. Boy, there go all the YouTubes about how to do makeup. There go all the YouTubes about, did you hear about the, the woman? I know Eric's going to croak here, but I'll tell my joke anyway. The woman's sitting there in front of her vanity mirror, and she's putting on this white cream, and the little boy looks at her, son looks at her and says, Mommy, what are you doing? She says, I'm, I'm making myself beautiful. And a few minutes later, she starts taking it off, and he says, you giving up already? <laughs> there are two beauties in the world. There are two beauties. There's the best kind of fashions, the makeup, the hairstyles. And then there's the right attitude. Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Do you know, if you prayed through that verse as much as you spend time putting makeup on, I think we'd have revival in the homes. A right attitude. There's something priceless about a meek and a quiet spirit. It's more valuable than all the crown jewels of all the kingdoms in the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful on the outside. But there is a hidden person in every Christian. Someone on the inside of a Christian woman, underneath all the skin, and that person needs to show herself. And she shows herself with a meek and a quiet spirit. A meek and a quiet spirit is an attitude that does not dominate, or fight, or push, and yet wins every argument. 
doing the exact opposite of what comes natural. How? Because you're making sure your husband's the leader and you do it meekly. Hold on to that. <laughs> you do it meekly and quietly. What does meek mean? Meekness means you're not focused on yourself, but on your husband and on others. You're not defending yourself. And you're looking unto Jesus as an example. Look at chapter 2, back one chapter. 2, chapter, verse 21. For even here in 2 were you called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. That you should follow in his steps. Who? Did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth when he was suffering. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. You know what family is? It's about two parts hurt to one part help. Did you ever notice that? Most of our struggles in life are with ourselves and in our homes. The Bible says when Jesus was reviled, yelled at and attacked, he didn't do it back. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself unto him that judged righteously. True beauty is meek. Quiet. Kind of had this discussion a couple of weeks ago. Quiet is not when you're silent. Don't think in extremes like yelling and just being quiet. No, it is a, uh, and just being silent. It is a quiet respect of your home and for those who can hear as you talk with your husband. Proverbs 25, 15 says, by long forbearing, that means patiently putting up with him, is a prince persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. So a soft and soothing way of speaking will often and almost always accomplish the most difficult of things. Those two gems are priceless. And you say, well, so what? Well, let me show you the opposite. Proverbs 27 says this, he that blesses his friend with a loud voice Rising early at 6 a.m., it shall be counted a curse unto him. And a continual dropping in a rainy day, and a contentious woman are alike. What are you saying? You know what? You could be walking by your neighbor's house at 5.30 in the morning and going, Good morning, Jim! Great day, isn't it? And you know what he'll do? Curse you! I was sleeping. And you know, yelling, no matter how right you are, is just as bad in any discussion because contentions never stop you know what it does chase conversation saying what needs to be said and honoring the head proverbs uh 21 19 says it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman i wish men could amen that but they would not live it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop then, on a, then with a brawling woman in a White House. I don't know. Can you imagine Katie Taylor being married to her? She'd knock you flat if you ever crossed her. Man. Is that your home? My God, that doesn't stop there. He goes on and he gives us a, a very good example. There are two very good examples of submission in the Bible. There's actually a lot, but two I'm going to mention. Look in chapter 3 and verse 6. Well, verse 5 and 6. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, back in 1 Peter 3, 5, who also trusted in God, they adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as who? Obeyed who? 
All right, now watch it. We got it there in verse 1. It says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. I have too many people say, well, that's somebody who's not saved. That's trying to win your husband. That's a good start. But what is Sarah trying to win? Is she trying to win Abraham to God? This is Sarah having a stubborn husband. Abraham wasn't perfect. And if she's going to get anywhere with her husband, she does it the right way. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him... <gasps> Lord. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard four-letter word, isn't it? Whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now remind me, who is Sarah married to? Abraham. This scripture is not just for unbelieving husbands, but for, but for godly men who at times do wrong and would never be won by being loud and pushy and argumentative with them. Her responses to Abraham are the right example for dealing with any husband who's not doing right. God calls women like Sarah holy women, godly women. What a praise. Holy does not mean like a nun. It means clean. It means godly. It means right. It means saintly. It means pure and virtuous. You know what the key to this whole thing is? Sarah trusted Abraham, right? No. You wouldn't trust Abraham. <laughs> you wouldn't trust David with, with, with your wife. You wouldn't trust Noah with a bottle of, of uh, Chardonnay. You wouldn't trust Abraham with your son. You wouldn't trust Abraham with another woman either. I'm telling you, this is, this is about men and how you're going to manage and win an argument with them. You trust God. Most of us are terrified that God's going to let us down. We find it so hard to do things God's way because we don't trust God. You know why people won't get saved? You know why there are people in this church sitting here right now who have been pled with, prayed for, begged to get saved, and they won't get saved. You know why? Because they don't trust God. They just can't bring themselves to say, God's right and I'm wrong. So be it. I, I trust Him. You say, what does it take to get saved? Trust. I give it over to Him. I trust Him. I will follow Him because He's right. Sarah trusted God. And she, so did countless others throughout history. You know, we're going to sit in heaven. I can only imagine. You and me in our arrogance, we're going to sit down with some of the most amazing Christians of all of history. And you're going to hear them talk about their suffering. You're going to hear how they were tortured and how they were burned at the stake and how they put up with their husbands, and they raised their kids for God. A man named Susanna Wesley had 18 children. She had an ungodly husband who never did right, maybe a day in his life. And she raised two of the greatest preachers and greatest uh, um, uh, evangelistic effort people in the world, Charles and John Wesley. She did it alone. And we're going to sit down next and go, yeah, I had a couple of hangnails. I cried all day. I lost my job for the third time. I, I'm telling you, I put up with a Texan, yell at me every Sunday. I tell you, my Christian life is so hard. And you're going to be so ashamed that you didn't suffer at all. You didn't try. We're going to sit down next to Sarah, who had to put up with Abraham. You say, what bad things did Abraham do? You know what he did? Well, I won't talk about the bad things only. Let me just show how hard it was for Sarah to follow Abraham. You see where I say that. There we are. I'll talk about it in a second. 
Before we get there, I'm going to say this. She adorned herself the very way that was talked about in previous with a meek and a quiet spirit. You do not find Sarah, except once, crossing her husband. Generally, she was a meek woman. Generally, she had a quiet demeanor towards her husband. Generally, she was in subjection to her husband. Titus chapter 2 says this, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. If the Bible says it and a Christian's not living it, what does that look like? It looks like blasphemy to God. And the point is, Sarah obeyed Abraham. She obeyed him when it didn't make sense. Can you imagine your husband looking at you? I can just see some woman coming, uh, coming back from church and I'm preaching on, on something and the husband comes home and says, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a preacher. I think God's burden on my heart that I preach the gospel. There are people in all over the world. And, and if God called me to Afghanistan, I'd go and your wife would faint. Now, you know why. I mean, that's rough. But when Abraham said to his wife, we're leaving home. We're leaving mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa. We're leaving brothers and sisters. We're leaving the farm. We're leaving the wealth. We're just you and me. We're going to go wherever God leads us. Do you know where we're going? Have not a clue. You know what Sarah did? Lead on. Wow. Could you do that? Hmm. Sarah obeyed when it didn't make sense. Sarah obeyed when it was risky to do so. Abraham told her, Listen, these people, you're stunning. A nine, uh, at that point, she's 75 years old, forgive me. A 75-year-old knockout. I mean, top to bottom, she's probably the most beautiful woman, evidently, for her age. I figure for the last 50 years, I don't know. And Abraham's like, they're going to kill me to get you. And he says, tell them you're my sister. Now, I don't know how that makes any sense. Because if he says she's his sister, they'll just take her, <laughs> which they did. But you understand, he was worried about himself. Yeah. And he asked her, he says, tell him you're my sister. You know what she did? Okay. That blows my mind. She obeyed when it was risky. She obeyed when it didn't make sense. By the way, I'm not saying that she obeyed imperfectly, but it was her way of life, and it needs to be a way of life among all Christian women, if you want to win the arguments. If you want to win your husband's faith in Christ, if you want to win your husband's heart towards you, towards your children, and towards what's needful. And this all goes back to what she saw in her husband. You know how she saw her husband? You're the boss. She used a word that is not in the Western world. She called him Lord, which means she thought of Abraham as the one in charge, as having the power in her home. I know these are forbidden concepts today. You're not going to see an article in the newspaper about this kind of stuff. You're actually not going to hear most churches ever go down these verses and take, take it like it says. But the Bible has never been in step with the culture, has it? And a home is not built by angry men and angry women. It is built by godly men and women who live and think and do like the Bible says. Now verse 6 ends this whole thing, and I'm going to finish with this. Don't be afraid to try. Look in verse 6. He says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, 
as long as you do well and are not afraid within the amazement or, or shock. Don't sit here and be surprised at, at what I'm saying. Don't be afraid to try. He calls him a daughter, and a daughter is someone trying to be like their mother. So be like Sarah. Not so your man can get what, get what he wants all the time, so that your home thrives and your husband changes and your children have hope. If your children don't see love and a home in your home, it makes it harder on the next generation. Do well. Do well to each other. Do well to uh, er everybody, but especially in the home. And trust that God's way will work best because I have found, as I've read my Bible and my own experience, I know it does. Now, by way of invitation, let me say this, this is not for all wives. I said at the beginning, many of you, many women will run from the scriptures because it terrifies them. They've tried it, and they got hurt. They tried to be submissive, and they were hurt. Well, many a woman has been crushed and defeated by trying to do things God's way without a new mind, without a new heart. They've never been born again. So the things that I've told you this morning are like a millstone around your neck. But this is God's way for Christian women to work with their husbands, women who love Jesus Christ. If I asked you this morning, do you love Jesus? I would say probably every woman in this room, young and old, would say, yes, yes, yes. And this is for you. If this book doesn't mean anything to you, if Jesus is just a name to throw around, if, if, if God and the Bible and heaven, Brother Stu and I were out yesterday. I went to this house, knocked on the door. This guy comes to the house in this very opulent house here. He comes out. I tried to give him my testimony. I tried to say, uh, when I was 17, somebody asked me, where was I going when I died? And I said, who knows and who cares? I just went through my testimony and everything. He looked at me and said, stop. I mean, he's a, this guy is not some dummy. I mean, he looked well-to-do. He looked like he had it all together. He didn't. He said, we're a product of aliens. Stop right there. It's all an alien. And I tried to laugh, and I go, well, he was, like, he was dead serious. Good night, man. Listen, this message isn't going to work for that family, amen? You got me? I can't help them. But if you love this book, and you love Jesus, and this book talks to you as truth, it's for you. You'll not be able to do just these things on your own, in your own strength, even if you're saved. You're, you're only going to do it with supernatural help. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get the new birth. Jesus promises to make you a new person, a new creature all over again. That's where it begins. And, and supernatural help that you get as you obey the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit speak to us? With a whisper. Do you know the Holy Spirit is? Meek and quiet. Like I said, there are two examples. I probably could use three. There's Sarah, there's the Holy Spirit, and then there's the best, Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And I'll give you rest unto your souls. God's supernatural help will come when you're quiet and you're listening to a very quiet voice of the Holy Spirit, and you follow these better instructions that your own, than your own heart can come up with. You say, I know how to handle my husband. 
You can't improve on God. What's the challenge today? Give your husband something to behold, something to see, not just hear. What speaks louder than words? A meek and quiet spirit, a beautiful heart. Submit your life under the leadership and headship of your husband. You say, when are you going to get to my husband? I can't, I can't take this unless he's getting hit too. <laughs> well, hold on. Just believe me this. God started with the women. Why don't you let him start with you this morning? Three, be different than what the world is. Talk differently. Talk carefully to your husband. It's called respect. To have a proper fear. Fear going out of God's plan and say, Lord, I'm just going to do it your way, and I'm going to trust that it's going to turn out right. Number five, be beautiful through and through, showing a meek and a quiet spirit in your home. Follow the example of Sarah, and if you say, that's not good enough, then follow Jesus. And don't be afraid to try. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. I know you'll fail. I know you go out of here and you'll say, all right, well, I'll try and honor my husband. I'll try, but I'll kill him next week. <clears throat> Maybe you won't. Stand with me and bow in prayer. All over this world, before we pray, let me just say this, all over this world, there are people crying out, is there any hope? Has anybody got anything worth living for? Is anything working? Or is everything just a mess like it is everywhere else? You know, your home can be and ought to be a little taste of heaven. Now, that's very convicting because usually, even under the best circumstances, the devil stirs things up, attacks. But let me tell you, your desire to do your part. Father, I ask that you would help us to allow ourselves to be convicted. And that we realize you know the way. And the suffering and the serving and the patience pays off if we trust you. I pray that every person in this room would say, thank you, Lord, thank you for giving me a home and a family to serve in. I pray that everybody who is not in that type of a family right now, but have struggled and been hurt, help them pray that God would take away any bitterness, take away all of the stain of the pain of the past, and help them as older women teach the younger women to do it differently, to do it better. Lord, we have too many feminists who are angry at men and angry at you, teaching the next generation to hate men and hate you. Father, give us such liberty and such freedom that we would take even our mess-ups and our flaws and our failures and we would give hope to the next generation. Father, give us Christian homes. In Jesus' name, amen.